Something new is supported by listeners like you. Visit paypal.com and help this podcast continue to grow, thrive, and be a part of the creative conversation. Hello there, dear listeners. Welcome to this special bonus episode that no one saw coming, including me. Uh, episode 317 with my very special guest, Jen Bender, who is the Director of Programming and Artist Services for the New York Musical Theater Festival, which, as you know, I have been getting ready to have my concert as part of Nymph uh, of my album musical, To Hell and Back, on Tuesday, July 7th at 6 p.m. at the Beachman. There is now a discount code. If you enter the discount code 25HELL, and that's two five H E double hockey sticks. Um, you you get a twenty five percent discount off of the tickets, and uh, that's a pretty good good darn deal if I do say so myself. And um, it's just it's just going to be a really really special show, and I hope I hope you can all make it. It's the opening night of the festival. Um, there's going to be a really big crowd. I, I I look forward to seeing you all there. And I'm, I'm excited to see it myself. I mean, I know that probably sounds really egotistical, but it's it's true. Because, <laughs> you know, up to this point, it's it's been a lot of prep, a lot of prep work, and um, making sure that everything is ready for when we actually start, you know, working on the piece. And that day has finally come. Oh my gosh. All right, so what did we do this last week? Um, aside from work and promoting... Uh, and walking my dog. What did I do? Well, on Friday, I recorded episode 318, which will be coming to you live. Uh, well, it won't be coming to you live. It'll be coming to you in a week. And, uh, that is with Shakina, who, who heads the Musical Theater Factory. And we had a lovely conversation and jammed on a, on a fun new song from Mackenzie. Speaking of Mackenzie, I'm so glad that I'm, you know, I, I was... I was torn. I was like, should I do a monologue? It is. It's late, and it's Pride, and I'm tired, and lots of th- lots of things are happening. But no, I'm I'm doing this monologue. Darn it! And I'm glad I'm doing I'm glad I'm doing the monologue on Sunday evening as opposed to Sunday morning because things have happened since Sunday morning. And uh, the, the the big thing that happened was my director Laura Brandell and I um, hosted a table read of the latest draft of Mackenzie and the Missing Boy. And we got to hear it out loud for the first time today, this, this new draft. You know, had a, had a group of very talented, very smart actors around a table, and then they did, you know, they did all the book scenes, and I sang the score from the piano, very old school. And, um, and then we had a, you know, a, a quick feedback session afterwards. I just really want to, you know, I give my wholehearted thanks to the actors who, who, who came and lent their voices and their time and their talents and their brains today, and, and, and those are my friends Nika, Kendall, Caroline, Joshua, Will, Shane, and Gregory. I'm really, really grateful, and thank you, Laura, for for helping uh, steer this ship that is Mackenzie and the Missing Boy. And on Saturday, I saw B-Side Productions' production of A Man of No Importance by Aronson Flaherty, and it was so good, you guys. I'm... You know, unfortunately, it is closed, and, and we've all moved on at this point. But it was a really, really well done production. Just, it was smartly done. It was clean. It was clear. It was tight. It was everything that 
that you want in intimate musical theater and more. And my, my hat is off to the entire cast, uh, especially Kilty, who just killed it. And it was just really, really special. And my, my hat is off to them. And I look forward to seeing what else they are up to in, uh, in, their, in their second season. All right. I am done talking because it is late and I need to go sleep and Strider is holding his rope bone because I need to play with him as well. So yeah, so that that's going to do it. Super short monologue today. Um, again, check out Talbot in Concert as part of Nymph. And without further ado, here is my candid conversation with the one and only Jen Bender. This is Joel B. New, and you're listening to Something New, my chance to talk with the savviest artists I know, to hear their stories, and get to the heart of what makes them the working, multifaceted movers and shakers they have come to be. Today's guest artist is a director and producer working in theater and live... Today's guest artist is a director and producer working in theater and live events. She is the director of programming and artist services for the New York Musical Theater Festival, and associate director of the recent Broadway musical Honeymoon in Vegas by Jason Robert Brown and Andrew Bergman. Other Broadway credits include The Lion King, The Wedding Singer, Steel Magnolias, and Avenue Q. She spent the past three years touring North America, Asia, and Australia as the assistant artistic director of Cirque du Soleil's OVO. From its creation in 2008, she was the artistic director of Broadway in South Africa, a nonprofit organization that aims to develop a cross-cultural exchange between youth in need and artists who seek to use their change for good. She is also a co-founder of New Voices Collective, a concert series of art songs by contemporary American composers. A passionate supporter of new works, she directed the premieres of Like You Like It and Trails at Nymph as well as numerous concerts and readings at Lincoln Center, Birdland, Hammerstein Ballroom, Ars Nova, Hudson Theater, and Joe's Pub. Obviously, I'm talking about Jen Bender. Hashtag. I love how many times did you say that on the podcast? <laughs> it was so much fun. <laughs> it's a good tagline. So we just recorded, we're having a bunch of... Um, <clears throat> Broadway celebrities record all the pre-show announcements so that as audiences oh, go into cool. each theater, mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what Audrey and I are talking about, because she's going to do one, so that when you walk into a theater, you hear, hi, my name is Fancy Person, and then they do a whole spiel. But at the end of the first sentence, it says, welcome to the 2015 New York Musical Theater Festival. Musicals live here. And I had to tell each person who's done it so far, they, they just didn't sort of know what it meant, because it's a mm-hmm. little, it's a phrase, it's not yeah, a sentence. Yeah, so yeah. they would say... 2015 New York Musical Theater Festival. Musicals live here. No, actually, it's, it's, our, it's our tagline, so you can just let it feel like the end of a sentence. But it doesn't make sense when you see it unless you know that it's essentially a hashtag. Yeah. It is a hashtag. Yeah. I, I'm fascinated by this whole, you know, like, every... Because I talked to a couple of people hoping to find someone to help with publicity, uh-huh. and, and everyone was, I was like, well, you know, the first thing you got to do is, like, find a good hashtag. I'm like, really? It's crazy. Because here's what I don't understand. I understand that theory of hashtags and that when Twitter was first created, <clears throat> if you were watching the Olympics, you could do hashtag Olympics, click on it, and see everyone else talking about the Olympics. So the yeah. idea of it makes sense. Then it became a cute commentary. Mm-hmm. But I always think for something like Musicals Live Here, does somebody really click on it and then say, I'm going to see all the other people who tag Musicals Live Here because not enough people know what the tags are. Right. Yeah, there's so many tags now. So I think... Hashtags make sense in theory. Mm-hmm. Or if you're watching the Emmys, you're watching a thing where you sort of know what the hashtag is. Yes. 
for me, it feels like like this password, like we're all in on it kind of a thing. Yes. It's it's kind of like a yeah password. It's like a door. stamp of approval. Yeah, yeah. Like a password at a door. Yeah, like when I um because my iPhone will alert me and be like, everyone is talking about Playbill Pride today. Yes. <laughs> and like I bet they are. Yep. Yeah. And, and then I feel like Happy Pride, by the way. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. This is a great day. It is a great day. Yeah, it's a great weekend. Great couple of last days. It's been really good. Yeah. Life is good. Life is really really good. For all that's wrong with America, there's a whole lot right with America right now. Darn right. Including the New York Musical Theater Festival. Yes. Hashtag musicals live here. <laughs> Get into it. Um, we should have done Pride Lives yeah. here. We should have done a Pride hashtag all weekend. <gasps> oh, <sighs> opportunity all missed. Those, all those great ideas. Hashtag nymph 2016. <laughs> I'm going to put it on my to-do list now. Do it. Yeah. Siri, remind me a year from now. Remind me on June 28, 2016. Yeah. Do you use Siri that way? I do. I don't. I actually don't use Siri at all. What? I don't. Because they're talking? What I use is the dictation microphone button. Mm. So as I'm walking, I can talk and not be texting and being the jerk who's... Oh, yeah, I do that too. So I do that, which I also love because it feels like an old-school Western Union where I'll say, Joel, comma, looking forward to seeing you today, exclamation point. But I'm essentially saying, full stop. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it feels very old-timey. I like it. And it also feels... Sort of self-important. I like, I'm talking cool. to my yeah. dictaphone as I walk down the street. Like, yeah. I'm Don Draper. Exactly. Just throwing out thoughts. Yeah, no, I love that. But I, then um, I'm also not the person walking up the subway stairs, oh. texting and slowing everyone down. Well, you know, I was living in Tokyo for five months, and it's many, many, many more people than New York. But New Yorkers have an innate sense of who's around them. I've noticed even if people are texting, they're somehow aware of where other bodies are relative to their bodies. And yeah. in Tokyo, forget about it. They will just plow into you. They don't know what's happening. There are just bodies slamming into bodies. And there's something in New York where there's just more of an awareness, at least, Mm -hmm. that there are other people orbiting you as you're walking and texting. People don't plow into each other here. In Japan, it's just, like, atoms running and bouncing into each other. (laughs) They're all named Adam. They're all named Adam. (laughs) And then what happens? Do they they yell at each other? Or is it just kind of like, boop, and then they move on? No, it's kind of like bumper cars. Like, they bump and then they just keep walking whatever direction they just ricochet into. Does no one apologize? No. 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 They just keep going. They have things to do. They have have people to text on their enormous phones. (laughs) Their phones. How big are their phones? Like an iPad mini. Really? But it's not an iPad mini. It's their phone. Do they hold it up to their ear like that? Yes. No. I mean, they don't talk often in the same way that most of us don't really talk that often. Yeah, very sad. They're generally just texting and tweeting and doing all the things. Yes. But they're they're very big. Okay. It's not a thing you would just drop in your pocket. Like, it's it's an event. Yeah. I like when I see people with, like, the larger iPhones with the Galaxy Notes, like, stuffed in their skinny jean pockets. Yes. It's like, who are you kidding? Like, Yeah, that's not going to work. You're going to have to sit down soon, and you're going to have to figure that out. I'm surprised there's not... A Jack Spade phone-specific satchel. You know, like I'm surprised yeah, there don't yeah. exist more accessories <clears throat> solely for the purpose of carrying your phone. Yeah, carrying your big ass phone. Maybe that's what I should do next. Yeah. Design phone accessories because I think I think the iPhone's not going anywhere. It is not. It is I not. feel pretty confident that yeah. that's a growing <laughs> industry. And I mean, and you're not. It's not like you're up to anything else right now. You're just, no. Yeah. Just it's not get like I'm right basically now. just killing time between now and July seven. <laughs> I wake up Are every morning all? and I'm like, what to do? I what? guess I'll watch CBS Sunday morning. Did you watch that today? I didn't. I actually Ugh. did wake up a bit late. I watched Meet the Press, which was not, it was just boring. I was going to say, it's not infuriating or anything. It just feels like they're not talking about anything. They're sort of saying, these things happened, and I want to hear more commentary, whether I agree with it or not, just for the purpose of 
being engaged in the discussion. Yeah. And they just sort of recap what was being talked about in the news, and then I turn that off and I watch John Oliver. What's his show last week tonight? Yes. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh, which was much more impressive much more in terms of let's yeah. talk about what's yeah, happening. Yeah, more of conversation, not just like bullet points. Yeah. I have a Amazon Echo. Do you know what, what that is? That? is? No. It is this cylinder in my in my bedroom that um, I can speak to, and her name is Alexa. Okay. And I ask her things, like you know, in the morning when I wake up, I'm like Alexa, weather report, <gasps> and she just speaks to me. And then, or and I also does it ever play Birdland by a weather report by accident? No. That was no. a jazz joke. That was very funny. Well, there was a, well, the funny the other day I was like I was because like she's not nearly sophisticated as Siri, and I was feeling a little blue, and I was like Siri or Alexa, oops, Alexa. Uh, play me something happy And then she started playing uh, Sometimes I'm happy Oh Yeah Like she just Instead of like Playing just like a happy playlist Or and whatever Did you name her Alexa? No they named her How does she feel about Siri? Um, we haven't talked about that Does she know that Siri exists? I-, I wonder if she gets mad Every time I talk to Siri on my phone I wonder if too her Or something or, Yeah I don't know But um yeah, she's you wake up to two women in your bedroom. Two women in my gotta, bedroom. That's gotta be. My dad is thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> but I can say things like weather report, or um, I say um, news briefing. I say news news briefing, oh. and it just reads me like very matter of fact, like these top like ten news stories that are happening right now. But that it's like finding from the internet. Yeah, I should get that. But she, it's great. She doesn't have any opinions on it or anything. It's just you know, just like blah 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 blah. And what if there was an advanced version of that that you could buy with opinions, and then you could specifically choose a setting like Jewish Mother, who <laughs> had like a particular point of view on those yeah. opinions, or like a sarcasm yes. function, or it's sassy like, gay friend? Yeah, I would totally get that. <laughs> Once again, we're just fixing all of the uh, the world's tech problems. It's true. We yeah. should be a South by Southwest. That's why we got into theater. <laughs> This podcast is on the wrong channel. Yeah, yeah. We should be advancing technology. I've been doing this all wrong for three years. It's never too late to change direction. No, it is not. Just like the Japanese teenager in the Tokyo. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't have to apologize to anyone. You know, you just hit it. You just change course. You know, just go. You know, bring your big ass phone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um... We don't even need to talk about musicals. This is we compelling. Don't. We've I'm already probably, like, knocked yeah. out 35 minutes of compelling chat. We fixed a lot of things. It's true. Yeah. And, all, and also come to the New York Musical Theater Festival. Yeah. Running July 7th through the 27th. BB Dubs to Helm Back, July 7th, 6 p.m., Beachman. Great. Thank you, Jen Great. Bender. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. <laughs> and you too, Joel Binu. We look forward always, to seeing you. Always a pleasure. Yes. <laughs> Can't wait to work with you. <laughs> it's going to be great. I hear nothing but good things. Uh, <laughs> about myself and my podcast. <laughs> it's a real honor to be on the show. <laughs> um, so, so today is actually a bonus episode. I wasn't planning on using. Uh, I just, I was having a real heart to heart. I have several heart to hearts with my friend Hansel Tan, who's in uh, my concert, Talent Back. July 7th at 6 p.m. at the Beachman, and um, we were just talking, and he was like, well, because I'm trying to sell tickets, and he was like, why aren't you using your podcast to do that? And I was like, well, I just kind of keep them as separate entities, you know, like, I will mention my concert, you know, but it's it's about this, and he was like, so who says? And just like our conversation that we were having 
Yes. Oh, said, I, I guess I it's can like, do that because because it's my it's show. It's my show. It's my show, and, and people listen to it, and you know, people like it. I hope. Please uh, tweet me. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I thought it was a good opportunity to come on here and and talk a little bit about that. Um, as much history about Nymph as you want. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, I don't have much time you have. Um, let's see. I modified, like, I'm going to have a little intro that I read later on. Uh-huh. But, um, I modified my intro because usually I say, you know, the savviest performers I know. Right. But would you identify as a performer? No, no, no. No, 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 no. I was a dancer and a musician growing up. Okay. But by the time I got to college, I knew I wasn't pursuing either of those full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just a question of how do I take the ideas of all the things I like about theater, where where do I land with all the things I do? Yeah. I'm not sure what that is. Yeah. Um, so and I sort of immediately landed, well, I guess when I was a freshman, <clears throat> I mean, I was still dancing, and I was in marching band, and I was in concert band, and I was doing a lot of things. What, what did you play? Uh, in marching band, I played mellophone, and then concert season, I played French horn. Neither of which I played in high school. I picked them up specifically for college. Just picked them up? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I was reading your bio, like, you've been a music copyist before. Mm-hmm. I, I, I did not know that you had that, that music background. It's a secret skill. Well, Isaac yeah. Hurwitz, who's one of the founders of Nymph, um, along with me back in the day, um, I was his intern <clears throat> at Encores in 2003, which is funny because I'm only a year younger than Isaac, so it's, it was funny to us at the time, and it's more funny now that I was his intern, but... Um, <laughs> He worked as the head of the music department at Encores, and when he left, I don't know what he left specifically to do, um, but Rob Fisher talked to me about replacing Isaac in that position, and in the same week or month, I got asked to be the assistant director for Avenue Q, and I picked Avenue Q and then went down the director path. Because the music was always a fun thing, but it wasn't the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only because so many other people do it so much better. Not that I didn't love it, but... <laughs> what kind of dancing did you do? Um, tap, jazz, ballet, all, yeah. the, all the stuff. Nothing like Irish line dancing, but all the sort of typical <laughs> no small-town Ohio... No I mean, modern, fell into yeah. jazz. Yeah, yeah, there yeah, were yeah. contractions. Yeah. That happened. There were hinges. Yeah. Those things happened. Yeah. But uh, just small-town Ohio dance school, so we did sort of all the things. How many pirouettes could you do? Oh, I'm a terrible turner. Really? One of the main reasons. Were you I'm a not... jumper then? Like that was a, what, what they told me when I was dancing. Like you had oh, to be was, a really was, good turner or a jumper. I was a was... decent jumper. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't. Leaper. I wasn't fearless in the way that you need to be to do crazy amounts of turns and jumps and things. Yeah. I was very cautious. Mm-hmm. So I think I was a pretty dancer, but I wasn't an aggressive dancer. But you were a gorgeous dancer. Oh, thank you. Um, as we're talking about time, I'm realizing that. I must have met you in your 20s. Oh, absolutely. That's crazy to me. Now, I don't remember how we met. I do. Was it through? It was through Margot Lyon. Right. Okay, that's what yeah. I thought. I couldn't remember if we'd met prior to that or if it was through NYU. It was all through that. Jay O'Connor Navarro and I, uh, our thesis musical, Awakening, was chosen by Margot Lyon as the quote-unquote best adaptation of mm-hmm. our class. And... Um, and she paired us with with a uh, with a respectable director, which turned out to be Jen Bender, and um, we've been in love with you ever since. And vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, because I was working on the wedding singer singer yes. with Margot. Mm-hmm. So that's how Margot and I met, and yeah. so that because we probably did that two thousand six. Does that seem right? That's when we graduated. Yes. Probably. Yeah. 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 So it would have been two thousand six, spring fall of two thousand six. Wow. So. When, when was the New York Musical Theater Festival founded? I remember having conversations about it in January of 2004, 
And Chris Stewart had this idea to do a festival, and Isaac, who I mentioned I had worked with at Encores, had been speaking to Chris about it, and then Isaac, I think, came to me and said, we're trying to sort of bring in all the people who are out there developing new musicals, either as writers or directors or young producers, and talk about what's missing in the industry, what this could be, how this would work, who our audience is, where these shows come from. So there were 12 of us who were a combination of writers, directors, producers, general managers, people who were sort of all doing this independently, who came together and said, let's make a festival that serves a lot of needs of the community. And we didn't have an office, so we would meet at Europa Cafe on 53rd and Broadway, and one of us would buy a cup of coffee, and then the 12 of us would sit, you know, would push six tables together and sit in the back corner for about five hours with all of our notebooks and computers and trying to figure out how we were going to make this big thing. And my memory is that we were there for months and months, meeting maybe twice a week. And then eventually uh, we moved into an office above the Ed Sullivan Theater, and we were there for our first year. And then Niv moved into its own office, and then we're in... We've been in quite a few offices over 12 years, but we just moved into the office we're sitting in now uh, about six weeks ago. So when you guys met, you know, because, like, was, was NAMPT around at that point? NAMPT was around. And the Fringe was around. Yes. And those were, I mean, and Nymph, correct me if I'm wrong, because those were kind of the only two yeah, absolutely. And Nymph festival gigs in town. does things that in a lot of ways have overlap with those two organizations, but are also separate. Yeah, so Fringe, I think, does about 200 shows that are sort of loosely curated and that you get a slot, but then you're essentially told these are your dates go do your show good luck to you and NAMT is extraordinarily curated in that it's very few shows mm-hmm. and it's specifically for an audience of industry people who are members of NAMT yeah. so there are people coming with a very specific focus they're looking for shows to put on their season next year yeah they know each other they know the players uh, you know NAMT is very specific in its target audience and the types of shows that they're presenting to that audience and with NIMP, I knew as a director and other colleagues knew who were writers that we would often send out postcards to producers and they were probably getting five or ten postcards a week saying come to this reading and they didn't know which ones were any good because we were all new young artists that they hadn't heard of yeah so there was no real way for them to know i should come to this and not this and one of the ideas behind it was what if we could adjudicate what's out there and tell producers in the industry of the 200 things you'll get postcards for this year these are 30 that have gone through an evaluation process of people in the industry, who think these are 30 things worth seeing. We can't say they're all going to be home runs, but of what's out there, these 30 are a pretty good bet of where you should start in terms of your time. And maybe you'll see 5 out of 30, or maybe you'll see 2 out of 30. But we're helping the industry a little bit by saying we think these are things that have a little more merit or a little further along. Yeah, yeah, you're coming in... Like, this has been seen, this has yeah. been vetted. Yeah. yeah, so we were trying to sort of do a service to producers who were just overwhelmed with the amount of content and didn't yeah. know if it was good. And if you're a commercial producer, you have very little time in your day to take three hours out of your business day to go to Pearl and see a reading that you don't know if it's going to be good or not. Right, right. That's a lot of your day. Yeah. So we thought if there was a way we could say, we know you won't see everything, but if you're going to see a thing this week, this might be the thing you want to see. Wow. How do you put that on a postcard? You can't put it on Facebook. You have to make a festival. <laughs> there you go. I um I went to my first college showcase a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and um, Michael Casera was there, and he gave he 
I just I asked him like how many of these do you go to and he gave me some obscene number and I thought he was joking but I don't think he was joking I will see 52 things in the next 21 days I don't understand (laughs) I have an intern who made a matrix of how I can see each show and we had to work backwards because some shows only have one performance so for something like To Hell and Back I can only go to that one performance Mm -hmm. so we plotted out which things I have to see on that date and time cool I'm so glad you're coming. Of course. Yeah. I wouldn't miss it. It's opening day of the festival. I'm so right. excited. I'm excited. It's such a perfect one to kick us off. Thank you. That was that was my that was the plan. Yes. Well planned. Thank you. Uh, so we plot out which things I have to see on a particular day. And then we sort of work backwards from there and say, okay, well, now there are four remaining performances of this show, so how does this fit in the matrix so that I can see everything? Yeah. Everything's pretty centralized, right? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. one of the things that I think better at NIMP than it was first couple of years, I was just looking at a program from 2004, and we had venues all over the city. We had things at Symphony Space on 95th Street. We had things down on the Lower East Side. I mean, they were spread out everywhere. We just cast a really wide net to try to get as many things represented as possible. And in the past few years, we've really tried to condense the geographical placement of NIMP, and now we have five locations that are all on 42nd Street and one on 43rd. So the idea is that we've created a campus so that it feels mm-hmm. more like it's a campus. So that as you leave a show, you might run into me leaving a show, and you'll say, I just saw this. What did you see? And I said, oh, I just saw this. I said, great. I want to see that. I said, great. Um, I'm actually heading into another show now. Do you want to meet up later and talk about the show you just saw? So that it feels like we really are passing each other on the street, having a conversation about new shows, what we saw, that. what we liked. Yeah. You may have just seen something that wasn't on my list to see. Not me personally, but yeah, on yeah, one's yeah. list to see. And you're so excited about it that I say, oh, I think they have one more performance tomorrow at 5. Great. I wasn't planning to see that, but Joel raved about it, so I want to make sure I get in. Awesome. So it's that. a very specific idea to have them all so close together. And then hopefully people will meet for drinks afterward or meet for dinner before and then go off and see their different shows. You know, my guests always have their fingers in at least two pies mm-hmm. at the same time. So my question to you is, how has your work as a director prepared you for Nymph? And how has Nymph made you a better director? Oh, great questions. I can't imagine doing this job if I weren't a director, because a lot of what I do is guide writers who are part of the New York landscape for the first time. We have a lot of writers who submit through the Next Link project and are from out of town. Yeah. So there are yeah. things that I take for granted, like, oh, you know how a reading works. Well, they've never seen a reading done in New York City. Maybe they did a reading, I guess, a presentation at their university, but... I think everyone knows what it's like to go to Ripley Greer and see a reading. We know that it's chairs and a piano and how the music stands are set up, and if it's a rock show, that there are microphones. Like we, I just sort of know what the things are. Yeah. And a lot of these new writers, who are not necessarily young writers, but sort of new to the New York scene, just don't know what those norms are. Yeah. So having directed so many readings in my life, so many shows in my life, I'm able to say, oh, your show would benefit from this setup, or do you think about doing this and this? Or maybe it makes more sense for you not to have mics on stands, but actually to be on lofts for this because of the way you're interacting with multiple characters throughout the show. Whatever the thing is, me having done a lot of those on my own or seen so many of those just gives me that many more tools to offer up to all these other writers. And then a lot of times they'll hire a New York director who knows their way around the scene, and that director is able to do that but sometimes the writers don't have a director. They're looking for someone. I can say, oh, you know who'd be a great fit for this piece? This person. I just saw them do this reading last month. 
similar in tone, I think they'd be a great fit for what you were doing. And then I can make some marriages or at least make suggestions. I mean, I never assign anyone yeah. a member of their creative team, but I'll often say, oh, I have two people in mind who I think would be really great for this. Let me put you in touch. And then it's up to the writers to meet with them, see if that feels like a good connection, see if they're available. You know, all of those logistics fall to the writer, but I can do a lot of good matchmaking because yeah. I've worked with so many different types of people. Yep. And that's fun to have that many projects to get to, give opportunities to directors and choreographers because I know so many great directors I know so many great choreographers when I'm directing a thing I can only hire one choreographer because that's how many I need yeah but with this if I have 30 friends who are choreographers who are all great um, and I hesitate to say friends because it doesn't I don't want to sound like nepotism but you know we are all I think pretty much friends and colleagues in this business I agree Um, it's great when there are people I know that I'm able to hopefully give an opportunity to because I've got so many projects that need people Say a choreographer friend of yours says, you know, I've been doing a lot of um, this type of shows mm-hmm. that require this type of choreography, but I really want to try my hand over here. Do yeah. you, I mean, do you keep that on your radar as oh, well? absolutely. And I think Nymph is the perfect opportunity for that because there's not $20 million writing on a Nymph production. Right. So the great thing about Nymph is, yes, it costs, it's not like it costs no money to do this, but relative to putting up a six-week run or a Broadway run, you know, the costs are relatively low. So writers are able to take a chance on somebody and say, well, let's see how this goes. It's only five performances. Yeah. If it's great, great, and then moving forward, we'd love to use that person. And if not, you know, it's five performances, and we tried something new, and then we found that wasn't the right fit. Uh, but one example, to answer your question, uh, I used to be the resident director at Lion King, and yeah. one of our dancers is a man named Ray Mercer, who's a choreographer at Alvin Ailey, in addition to being dancer in Lion King and he came to me and said you know I've always wanted to choreograph for theater but everyone knows me as this concert dance choreographer Um, and for anybody listening if you ever go to Gypsy of the Year uh, and see those stunning Lion King numbers those are very often choreographed by Ray Um, he's just a stunning stunning choreographer but he's known mostly as a modern dance kind of person and he's not in the mix for musicals because people don't think of him that way and it's true, he's not the right guy to choreograph for him. But we have a show that's an all-sung-through rock opera, and I said, oh, they need a choreographer, and that style of music, and the fact that it's not book scenes, and it's not sort of... It's not the type of choreography that other shows need. What you do is a perfect match for what this show needs. Hmm. Uh, so I connected them with the writers, and that's been a great partnership. That's so cool. And so when you are outside of these nymph walls mm-hmm. and you're you're going to direct something. Yes. Like how how does all of this chaos or this organized chaos uh-huh. uh, help you out there in, in your directing world? Well in a way I haven't gotten to that point yet because since I've been in this position I've been all nymph all the time. Yeah. Um, and I didn't... Well, how do you imagine it will help you? Uh, that's a great question. I was going to say I didn't even think will I direct something at nymph because that just feels like that's not why I'm in this position. I'm in this position to shepherd lots of projects with lots of creative teams, which is actually what I love most about this job. Um, But I think one thing that's so great about being a director after having gone through this experience, when you're a director in the room, there's only one person. So with the exception of being an assistant, you don't get a lot of opportunity to see what other people are doing. Like, if you're an actor in a reading, you're learning from the other 12 actors in the reading. And if they're older, more experienced people, you say, oh, that's how they approach that. Oh, that's how they prepared for this. But as a director, 
I'm the only person in the room. So I'm learning, but I'm essentially learning from my own mistakes. I'm mm-hmm. seeing presentations by other directors, but I'm not in the room with them for four weeks or 29 hours to see what works and what doesn't work. I can only judge the final result of what they did. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in a room, I can learn over time, oh, that worked well, I'll do more of that on the next reading, or that didn't work well, the next time I direct a show, I'm going to prep it in a different way. But I'm learning sort of just... I'm in a race with myself. And what's yeah. great about this is I'm able to interact with so many directors learning from themselves, but I'm also getting to see lots of directors all working at the same time. So I could say, ah, this person did that thing that worked so great. I have to remember that for when I direct a thing. That was a really smart choice. Whether it's instrumentation or staging or how they doubled up some character that wasn't that way in the script, but it made sense for the reading. Whatever yeah. the thing is, mm-hmm. I have this great vantage point in my nymph position to see lots of shows and lots of creative teams working and say, oh, that's a great idea. Someday if I have a show where that's applicable, I'll be able to use this thing that I've got in your right. catalog. Exactly. Yeah. That I wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. In your eyes, what can make or break a nymph show? Too much production for the time allowed. With nymph, you have a very small number of hours to get into the space. So even if money were no object, and there have been shows in the past where for some people, money isn't an object. Uh, but even if you've got all the money in the world, you have a finite number of hours to get in and out of your venue because all the shows run in rep. Yeah. So there's an hour to load in, and really it's only a half hour because then at half hour there's a mandatory sound check, which we have to have because all the shows are switching in and out. So you yeah. have to make sure your you know, DI is plugged in because it wasn't for the previous show. And then a half hour to load out. So whatever you design has to be able to be assembled and then struck in this really small amount of time. You only get a small corner of backstage to store your set because we have three shows running in rep at any time. Yeah. So you can't just design the set that you want for that show and say, that's what I want. Because yeah. you have all these parameters with NIMH because you're sharing a space and you're sharing time with 52 other events. So I think that's the biggest obstacle. But I also think as a creator, it's something that's really freeing in a way. You say, oh, wait, I know that I only have this much space to store my entire set. Yeah. So what are the three elements I need to tell this story? And if, you know, if we were at the Muni, I'd have eight million things yeah. and eight live horses. But in this situation, what I really need is this, this, and this to tell yeah. this story. So it's great because you really have to focus creatively on what the important elements of the story are and yeah. just do that. It really concentrates it. Yeah, I think it really makes the creative team and the writers ask questions about what is the most important thing for these five performances. And then when you do the next step, whether it's a playwrights or the Muni or wherever, then you can say, great, now we know for the next step we want to expand this. But what are we going to do that's absolutely essential for the NIMP production? So I think it's really good for shows in development. It actually makes the writers and director say what's essential, what's the story we're trying to sell, or story we're trying to tell, what are yeah. the things we absolutely need. Yeah. Just kind of keeping it economical in yeah. a lot of different senses of the word. But I, almost every writer goes through the same experience where at first they say, oh my god, how are we going to do this in that amount of time and with this amount of space? Yeah. And then by the end they say, oh god, we found we didn't even need that thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, we had done this production in Utah two years ago and we thought we needed all of this, but it actually turns out we really didn't. Or yeah. we rewrote a lyric that now tells us everything we need to know that used to be done through the set, but now there's, or maybe there are two lines of exposition that tell us what the house looks like, yeah. and now we don't need the whole house because you gave us all we needed to know about where we are. Exactly. 
Yeah. No, I definitely learned, I've learned that for myself with uh, concert prep, mm-hmm. because in, in my head, like, the cast has always been ten. Like, there's, like, right. you know, like, I have four four principals and a six-member ensemble, mm-hmm. and that's in my head, like, when we have staging and, you know, time for subplots right. and, like, all this kind of stuff, and then as we, as my director, Lori Walter-Hudson, and I just start started sitting down and really concentrating it again and refining its album musical roots mm-hmm. we're like well really all of these songs have been an extension are an extension of our of our leading man right. um, except for this character and this character you know the love triangle and and we've done what I've I didn't know I've always wanted to do which was all of the songs from these you know extensions of him are now being sung by him mm-hmm. so it's just it's like you know, I hope you guys like Blake White because I do, huh. and <laughs> he's just he's just singing for his supper and then some in the show because like it's now three quarters of the show is him, yeah, carrying you know, and, and that's what it's always been. But um, I don't know, I don't know what it, it took. It took it took the Nymph concert, yeah, to let me be able to explore it that way. I'm happy to hear that, and it may be that the next version you do, you say, ah, I realized I really miss those other voices. Yeah. But sometimes, and you know this from any rewriting process, sometimes you have to cut a thing to recognize how valuable it is. Yeah. And say, no, actually, it has to be there, because in losing it, we actually lost a tremendous amount of information, or we lost a moment where I connected with this character about this thing. Yeah. So sometimes you take it away to prove that you need it. And I think this could be... I think it's that way, actually, for all the nymph shows. Sometimes it feels like in stripping away things you may not need... Recognize what you absolutely have to have going forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we all hope that these shows go on to bigger venues and bigger budgets and more opportunities. Yeah, that's the point. That's the idea. We're really just trying to give shows a showcase to say, this is the idea of the show. This is what it could be at a next step. Yeah. And that's why it's called The Next Link Project. I mean, that was our real goal in creating the festivals. We used to see so many shows that would have a reading or two, and a producer would come and say, hey, that's great, let us know when you have a production, I'd love to come see it. And we would say, yeah, but that's the problem, is we need that next step, we need you to come put it on its feet, because right. that's how we're going to get the production. Yeah. So we kept saying, it feels like there's this void, there's a gap between a reading at Ripley Greer and a production on someone's season. Like, yeah. How do we just get the thing on its feet with, say, one set of costumes and... Not a huge band, but maybe something more than just a piano. Like that's what producers need to see to see the thing away from music stands. You have to show them the thing before they help you with the thing. Exactly. So that's exactly it. Yeah. And we thought we don't want to show too much because you do want other people to come in and then help shepherd this thing and build it up to what it wants to yeah. be. But we also have to give them just enough so that they say, "Oh, I kind of got that idea at music stands, but now that I see it on its feet." I see what this is. Yeah. And now that I see what it is, I want to take it on to a next step. So that's why it's called Next Link, because it was always intended to be the missing step for writers who had done many readings, yeah. but needed a, a low-cost opportunity to see it on its feet. Do you want to talk about this year's festival lineup? Like how, like, so how many shows are I there? I do. Uh, 22 full productions, 11 readings, 13 concerts and special events, and 6 educational programs. Wow. So I think that brings us to 52 total. That's crazy. And that's less, like you guys have kind It of is considerably less, and that was a really specific choice uh, by Dan Markley and myself, uh, our executive director, at the beginning of the year, which was, what if we did fewer shows and did those shows better? Hmm. So I think in future years, 
if it's possible, we'd love to bring that number down even more as the years go by so that we're not just throwing a lot of things up and hoping that by the sheer volume, a couple of them take off, but saying, let's really focus on fewer shows that we really believe in 100%. Not to say that we didn't believe in them in the past, but to say, let's really narrow down where we're putting our time and energy on fewer shows and see if we can make those shows be even better. Because then we're able to give them more support, um, you know, not just financially, but just in terms of our time. And, you know, if there are 40 full productions, I can't go to a first read-through of all of those. But when there are fewer shows, I can go to your first rehearsal. I can go to the read through and give some feedback that's going to make that show better than just seeing it on opening night and saying, oh, well, that was pretty good based on the script I read six months ago. We want to really be able to help with the development process, help guide the writers, help guide the creative team, uh, just do everything we can as an organization to support the development of those writers. You've helped found so many worthwhile organizations (laughs) and events. I think that's an understatement. I'm curious, where does all this drive come from? Like, and do you find a common thread in like the different projects? Because I mean, let's I, let's talk about a few. Like so, like there's Broadway in South Africa. Mm-hmm. There's the New Voices Collective. There's NIMF. There's NIMF. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm just a person who gets really excited and passionate about ideas. So if something comes up and I see there's a need for something new, or I have an idea of how I can help provide or coordinate or make a thing that fills some kind of void or is useful, yeah. it doesn't occur to me not to just run with that. Uh, and I think that's just a thing in my personality that's probably been there a long time. I also, I went to Northwestern, and I've noticed that seems to be a trait among other Northwestern grads. A really? lot of my friends who've graduated from Northwestern also seem to have that thing where they say, oh, that, that doesn't exist? Well, then I'll just make that. No one says, oh, I wish there were this. And then... They just say, I have an idea, I'm going to make that thing. You know, Broadway in South Africa, uh, two of our co-founders also were Northwestern alums. Mm. And I think there's something in that student body that has a common passion to just make things happen. Uh, Which is not to say that doesn't happen in plenty of other schools, but I've noticed at Northwestern, there's something about the students there that really say, oh, I'm just going to make this thing happen. We're going to do it. And New York and the theater community really rewards that kind of thinking. Like, if there's a thing that's not happening... Like you did, let's make a podcast, let's yep. start a venue, let's run a yeah. festival, like whatever, a whatever the thing is, yeah. let's just make it happen. New York's a great city to do that. Yeah, it's a great city of yes. There's a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then my last question is, as such an advocate for new work, have you ever thought about writing? Yes. Yeah? Constantly. Really? Um, not as a writer. No? It's the same way I feel. I was a dancer, but never wanted to be a choreographer. Okay. I don't think being a composer is anywhere in my... Never say never. But I have always wanted to be a book writer. Because generally I see musicals and I think, oh, this book needs a little bit of help. And I think that goes hand in hand with being a director and a dramaturg. Mm -hmm. That they're, you know, I just want to tell the story the best way possible. Yeah. So I'm constantly saying, how do we do this? Oh, maybe the way we do this is that this person has a scene here or that this happens later. So I think those all are essentially one skill set but I would like to put pen to paper and be a book writer. I've always wanted to. Awesome. Put it out there. And I think often as a director, I do a lot of contribution to the book. I'm sure you do. uh, Without hopefully stepping on anyone's toes. But I'm not going to lie. If a composer who's working on a show said, would you want to take a stab at this book? I would 
probably be over the moon to do that. Wow. All right, you heard it here first, folks. Something new. Jim Bender, book writer. That makes me really happy. I'm so, I'm <laughs> for, so glad. For the right project. For the right, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to submit your applications, <laughs> uh, you can tweet, tweet, you can tweet, joelbenew.com. So in my episodes, I always have my guest sing a song. Mm-hmm. And um, so so Jen is going to sing the entire score of uh-huh. Tell Back. Yep. Oh, she was, I came in, she was uh, vocalizing. And, mm. Uh, mm. Like, mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, that's all, that's all she was doing, just like that little sigh. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, so what I thought I would do is, um, because um, my podcast is a lot of things, but it's also a really cool incubation, incubatory for my shows that I'm working on. Uh-huh. And so I realized, I looked down the list, because my show has 13 songs in it, mm-hmm. and of those 13, um, 10 of them have been on the podcast. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play you guys all ten of those songs. I'm going to set them up and uh, get everybody excited again about um, this score because it's. I'm, I'm really proud of it. And Scott Wasserman is, uh, has done the orchestrations, and he's one of the orchestrator orchestrators on Hamilton. And um, he's awesome. That's and great. our band is great. And that castle's emptying, and just wonderful, wonderful cast. So, so I'm just going to kind of you know talk talk you through like a countdown, like on you know Casey Kasem. <laughs> And um, yeah, and then and then you're just gonna go over to nymph.org/slash to Helen back mm-hmm. and enter the code 25 hell for 25 percent off your ticket to to Helen back in concert, and um, and then I'll see you there. And I'll see you there. Yeah, I'll see you there. Uh, remember, these performances are all available to stream on SoundCloud.com in the Something New playlist. Uh, be sure to follow me on all things social media, and you may find those links and so much more on joelbnew.com, and I just uh, launched to helenbankmusical.com. Uh, visit my guests' websites, which are nymph.org and jenbenderonline.com. Uh, subscribe to, rate, review this podcast, tell your friends all about it, come see all of the nymph shows. Get yourself a nymph pass. There's a is that what it's called? It is called a nymph pass. Get a nymph pass. What's that about? So the nymph pass is the greatest way to go because if you're going to see four or more shows, you will save money and get perks. But the best thing about the nymph pass is that you can buy them in groups of four, ten, or twenty. I think of them like chicken McNuggets. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm hungry. <laughs> Who doesn't love a chicken McNugget? No, no, you're just not an American. It's true. <laughs> Uh, but when you buy the four tickets, you can use them in any combination. So one person could see four different shows, or a couple could see two shows each, or a group of friends could all see to hell and back on the same pass of four. So if you are planning to see more than, I would say, two shows, and generally people tend to bring a friend, uh, there'd be no reason not to get an info pass, because you save on uh, the facility charges, and you also get... Uh, a pass to come to our opening and closing night parties, and you save money. So, I mean, there's really no reason not to do it if you're planning to see, I would say, two or more shows. Mm. If you're just going to see To Hell and Back, because that's who you are, by all means, buy your one ticket. <laughs> but if four of you are going to Hell and Back, you should get the, the pass. That's great. I didn't know people could, like, jump in on the same pass. You can. That's the greatest thing about it, is that you can use it in any combination. So if you bought 20, a 20 pass, mm-hmm. you can split that up however you want. Got it. Okay. Yeah, they're really convenient. And the way it works, you buy the pass, and then you go online and book your own tickets. So you don't even have to deal with customer service. You just get on the website yourself and book 
whatever combination of tickets you want. You don't have to talk to people? You don't have to talk to people. That's great. That's great. I enjoy not talking to people. M- me too. Because I spend most of my day talking to people, so then they're, yeah. they're, essentially that window closes at some point, and I'm, yeah. I'm done for yeah. the day. I'm the same way. That's why I have a podcast. Yes. I don't like talking to people. <laughs> I like listening to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> That's what I do on the train. I do too. Oh my gosh. Uh, so my next episode, uh, which is coming out a week from now, the day before my concert, is uh, Shakina Nafak, the founder, of the, uh, the co-founder, artist director and co-founder of Musical Theater Factory. And I'm actually was also appearing in an imp show. Did you I know. That? I did know that. We talked. I actually already uh, taped that episode. Oh, great! On Friday. Yeah. <laughs> so we t- yeah we did that, and we talked about the uh, salonathon. Yeah. Which is super fun. Uh, basically, go see an imp show, and then head over to the factory, mm-hmm. and just um, hear, hear a bunch great of music. yeah hear Many a bunch runners. more new music, and it's a really really cool organization like Nymph. Mm-hmm. Uh, special thanks today to Peyton Royal at Website Lines, Stephanie Layton at Red Scandal Graphics, um, the Nymph office for hosting us today, and last but not least, Jim Bender, thank you for being on my show. Thank you so much for asking. This was so much fun. It was so good to see you. This, it, it, it forced us to hang out. It was a nice reunion. Yeah, very nice. Um, from from the New York Musical Theater Festival offices, this is Joel B. New. And Jim Bender. Saying thank you for dropping by for something new. Something new is a proud member of the Folio Group.